Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. I've been told to cool it with my admiration for Gawker. I've been told, you know, don't say that too loudly. You don't want people to think that that's what you're up to. Because Gawker, of course, has a reputation. How would you describe it? I guess people think of Gawker as scumbags, as vermin, as parasites, as vultures. You'll often hear them referred to as yellow journalists, as gutter journalists, as gossip journalists. And I don't think that those few terms are actually ones that they would even argue with. Of course, there is a whole other side to what Gawker has done. They don't just do celebrity gossip. They've broken some pretty big stories, some important stories. I mean, just to name a few. When Facebook started this whole trending news feature and Mark Zuckerberg said that he wants this to be the way that the majority of people get their news from now on, Gawker revealed that Facebook employees were suppressing news stories that didn't match Mark Zuckerberg's politics. 
And the celebrity stuff is not always vapid. I mean, when Dr. Dre released a major Hollywood blockbuster all about what a wonderful guy he is, Gawker investigated his long history of beating up women. And of course, here in Canada, when the Toronto Star saw a videotape of the mayor of Toronto smoking from a crack pipe, it was Gawker who broke that story. And that's when my admiration for Gawker grew. That's when I started to think about them a little bit differently. That's when I, I heard this interview with Gawker editor Tom Skoka talking about Canada. And he said, you know, in the land of the passive aggressive, the truly aggressive is king. Which just floored me. You know, this idea that we are so polite and high-minded here that we are actually a prime target for bullies. That people like Rob Ford and others who are not afraid to be aggressive can just seize power here because we'll just be too nice to even talk about it, to talk about what they're really like. I never really heard the, the, the mission, the, the purpose, the need for an aggressive press phrased so succinctly. Of course, it's not one of those uh, more important stories that now threatens Gawker's very existence. It is the fact that they posted a Hulk Hogan sex tape, which resulted in a lawsuit from Hulk Hogan, which resulted in a $140 million judgment against Gawker, and there might not be a Gawker for that much longer. Strange news broke recently that that lawsuit from Hulk Hogan, who never took a settlement when it was offered, has been backed by Peter Thiel, the billionaire tech investor, one of the early investors in Facebook, as a matter of fact. Thiel, it seems, is on some sort of vendetta against Gawker because they outed him as a gay man when he was still in the closet. And he has used the Hulk Hogan case as a way to punish Gawker, perhaps to kill Gawker. Good riddance, say many powerful people. And the media itself has said surprisingly little. I mean, let's remember that Gawker did a lot of negative reporting on the media itself. That's how it began, as a media gossip blog. And so you haven't seen a lot of support from journalists and authors and people in news as Gawker has been really bizarrely targeted by this billionaire investor. Until last week, that is, when one by one, journalists and authors and writers of all kinds started to tweet, I stand with Gawker. That micro-trend, I guess, began from an unlikely place. It began in a column in the New York Times that was written by a guy who has been targeted, attacked, maliciously mocked by Gawker more than just about anyone else. I speak, of course, of my friend, author Stephen Marsh, writer for Esquire, New York Times, writer of a bunch of books. You've heard him on this show before, and in a minute, he will join me to discuss his recent piece, I Stand with Gawker. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Ryan King, Justin Ling, Chris Kelsey, Joel Thelosen, Murray Meehan, Jill Cameron, Joshua Hind, and Jody DeLong. Jody, why did you decide to be awesome? You and the Crit Canada Land have become one of my regular go-to sources for feeding my inner news geek. Thanks, Jesse. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody 
half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is also brought to you by ShipStation. In the time that it will take me to tell you about ShipStation, you can sign up for ShipStation and you can import from all of the places where you are shipping things and selling things, eBay, Amazon, Etsy, Shopify, your own website. You can import all of those orders into ShipStation and print out labels that will be compatible with all the different ways that people ship things, Canada Post, UPS, FedEx. That can happen right now. You can try it out for 30 days for free. It is the place, ShipStation. They've solved a big problem for anybody who ships stuff off of the internet. They have made it so you don't have to check in to a dozen different websites to track your orders. It all just comes into your ShipStation account, and then it all goes out where it's supposed to go out. Try it out for free for 30 days. Go to ShipStation.ca, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in CanadaLand for your free trial. That's ShipStation.ca, offer code CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks makes small business accounting software designed for you. I think, probably, like if you are running your own business, a small business, your own freelance enterprise, then it's designed for you. If you happen to be, I, I don't know, the Coca-Cola Corporation, maybe it's not designed for you. And, and also, thank you for listening, Coca-Cola Corporation to Canada Land. FreshBooks is just amazingly, fluidly, intuitively fun and simple to use. It's fun. It's accounting software that's fun to use. You can accept credit cards when you invoice people. You can take little pictures of your expense receipts and then throw out the receipts, and then you can immediately assign them to an invoice, assign them to a client. It, it just makes that whole part of life easy to the point where it's no longer an annoying chore. You know when your invoice is viewed. You can create estimates and quotes. You can send recurring invoices to clients, so that's a part of your business that's just going to start to take care of itself. One more thing you don't have to worry about. You can do fast deposits to your bank account. You can auto-charge clients' credit cards. You can keep track of upcoming deposits when you use FreshBooks. They have thought of everything that you need if you are running a small business and you invoice people 
Use FreshBooks. They are the solution designed for you. Use it free for 30 days. Check it out. Play with it. Try it out. When you do decide to become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you. You'll be doing us a favor. Thank you, FreshBooks. So what are some things that Gawker has said about you, Stephen? Stephen Marsh is an egotistical heterosexual man. Uh, Stephen Marsh is dim and not to be trusted. The degree to which Stephen Marsh is wrong is staggering. Stephen Marsh is a terrible writer. Is Stephen Marsh the worst writer working in the English language today? And yet you stand with Gawker. Yeah, definitely. Why do well, you stand with Gawker? Oh, because like the little pathetic wounded vanity of individual writers like myself. I mean, the stakes are getting really high here. Like the stakes are getting high that, you know, we have a, I mean, first of all, there is the stakes of a tech billionaire uh, using his money simply to destroy the press. We have tech billionaires taking over the media. We have, you know, this man is on the board of a company that has an incipient monopoly on media media access, Facebook. Facebook. And, I mean, it isn't there yet, but it's it's getting there. Yeah. Um, and has recently been shown to favor uh, stories with a certain political slant over he another. Is, yeah, that's true. And they absolutely are legally allowed to manipulate that for whatever purpose they want. Yeah. He is also a Trump supporter. I mean, I think the tech angle has sort of taken this over. But the truth is, like... You know, to me, the thing that Gawker deals with is they've dealt with the incipient power of celebrity culture, which is which creates new demands on the press, which are simply different than the ones that existed before. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that to me is actually kind of the key to the story. And I and I think that's why, like, you know, my own personal little issues are really like nothing compared to, you know, we are about America is very close to electing a fascist who has risen through the power of celebrity culture and we have not processed how that's happened journalists are still acting like they should go to city hall meetings and report on what the city hall is saying and then that will inform the people who will then make informed decisions as political as citizens that is the idea of the, of the, way of the free press work, yeah. and that's just that's just a world that has passed these journalists who represent that m more traditional form of journalism of going and just you know we report on the news yes. and this conception of gawker as as in the gutter as, as tabloid i mean yes okay and let, let's back up here because you're talking about a lot of very big ideas yes. about the purpose that gawker serves bring up gawker to most people and they'll think oh gawker didn't they out that gay executive who right. had three kids. Yes, they did, and it's horrible. Threatened his marriage and, yeah. his, and his whole life, and, and his kids had to read this. And why? Yeah. Uh, why were they out? Like, is he an anti-gay crusader? No. No. Didn't they out Peter Thiel, the yeah. investor who-, who, uh, who And it's gross. I think it's gross. Like, what of what possible news value? He's not somebody who- I understand outing somebody who has been- is, is a hypocrite or yeah. has power- over these issues. But that's the question. See, and that's where we are in these in this fine line of what constitutes power. Because we're in no, a No, there's no fine line with the media executive, right? Is there any fine line as to like what there A I, media I, executive has real power. And therefore we out him because Well, no, I, I look I could never defend these decisions. What I defend is like the world that they're in and the line that they're trying to navigate, which is increasingly the line we're all going to have to navigate. Uh -huh. Between how do we deal with the power of celebrity? Yeah. Like, and how do we deal with the fact that celebrity power, you know, and, and, the, and the number of people who have abused that power, who have taken that power and gone completely unexamined by it, 
they get a free pass on all on everything that we consider civil society and we have not really dealt with what we're supposed to do with them like for example gawker dealt with like the trump hair right like is trump's hair a weave now new york times would never report on that yeah right like that's that's beneath them but actually that's actually the key question that's actually a very important political question why because it goes to the nature of what of the iconography that is permitting Trump to rise. Mm-hmm. And it, it, unless you acknowledge that this is the actual machinery of power, uh-huh. like rather than like the subcommittee on the acquirement for transportation. Yeah. Like this is the actual machinery that is causing power to it, it to be realized. And, and yet that is a question that we all, I think, know the answer to. Like basically is his image of facade that is carefully manicured and paid for i think everybody knows the answer is yes i don't think anyone has understood the manipulation of image that he has done i think no one yeah i i mean i would say that i haven't but who who among us has predicted his rise he hasn't yeah he doesn't understand the machinery like the idea that we understand this machinery or we all get it we all know who donald trump is baloney like this is we are in the grips of a of powers that we don't understand and we and we need to understand them and Gawker I would say you have to say this for them is that they are actually on the line of trying to provide interesting commentary and relevant commentary on that material. You know you can pick these horrible cases and like god knows I'm not defending them like they would they made choices that I would never make. Yeah. But you know that piece on Smarm that was a very important piece that would not have run really anywhere else. And, the, and, you know, the reporting on Rob Ford, right? The reporting on Rob Ford was key. It was, that, that was what actually unleashed a whole chain of political consequences for this city and this country. I definitely want to talk about both of those things. Tom, yeah. Sk- Tom Skoka's essay, Gawker editor Tom Skoka, this essay on Smarm, which was kind of a, of a foundational document for what I'm doing now. Right. And I had a chance to talk with him about it. And Gawker's relevance in a Canadian context, and, and it, it turns out there's quite a bit of it, but I, I think we first have to really stop for a second and consider a distinction that you you, you made very quickly there, which mm-hmm. I think is news to a lot of people, which is you distinguish what Gawker does to the celebrity culture from the celebrity culture itself. Most people would think that Gawker is on a list with like TMZ and the National Enquirer as the worst manifestations of that celebrity culture. Well, first of all, both the National Enquirer and TMZ have launched serious stories. National Enquirer has brought down major political figures, mm-hmm. brought down John Edwards. They probably in some sense contributed to they were the first person to report on his affairs on john edwards affairs were they gary hart as well gary, i think they were gary hart you have to understand that like the press is not supposed to be the opera yeah right the press is not supposed to, that's not the function of the press high, high society uh, like to be good people the scummiest like, thing the inquirer ever did was let bill cosby uh go pay, pay them off yes you know, that's with, right with access i mean they, they had that story and they well, and i think you know tmz is in that access world tmz is in the i mean and they've reported great stories too like don't get me wrong like i i would never have contempt for them like they're hard-working reporters reporting stuff that people want to read about i i just have no problem with that but gawker to me was always like very old-fashioned journalistic values applied to a celebrity maelstrom Mm -hmm. that we don't really understand and that's why i'm willing to cut them a lot of slack and that's why i'm willing to that's why i do feel like they're important like if they're gone something really is missing from the landscape this idea of them even having journalistic values, a lot of people would scoff at. The more you kind of like read up on their culture, it, it is interesting to note people there believe passionately in what they do. Oh, yeah. I have respect for them in that they don't pretend 
to any loftier purpose. And and uh, uh, Hamilton Nolan, a Gawker editor and writer, put it, uh, and this isn't their official slogan, but it's sort of their unofficial slogan, honesty is our only virtue. See, I mean, I heard Denton give a talk once where he said that the, the principle of Gawker was we print what journalists talk about in the bar after they filed their story. Which, yeah, which is something that I've often said was the, the, well, yeah. the intention here. That's right. And, yeah. you know, the th- I mean, the thing is, and I think they are incredibly gutsy to do that. Right. And, and you have to like, like, like by that honesty and th- that do they th- they might not care about w- the the lives that they ruin, yes. but I think that they do care about whether what they report is true or not. Well, see, I'm not even sure that's true. I mean, you know, like as I said in the piece, like they attacked me all the time. All of what they said was complete bullshit. They never, they never got me right. They never, they never took the time. Like what they were doing is they were dealing with. <laughs> The image, the imagistic front of things, but, which I don't think is wrong. Like that yeah. is actually that is actually the world that we inhabit. Right. Like it's pointless. Like there's no point in like writing about Donald Trump's policies. They are irrelevant. Right. Like so they, they write about Donald Trump's weave and they write about what they think Stephen Marsh is. That's right. But let but in terms of this discussion we're having, is do they yes. care if it's true or not? Do they get anything like inaccurate? Have they? Have they I reported? think they care very much. Oh, they get things wrong all the time. But that's everybody true. does. But that's they, true. But they of the correct. Toronto Star. That's but, true. But they correct. Every newspaper makes mistakes. Yeah. Like every every journalist who's trying makes tons of mistakes. And they do. So, they they break story after story after story. They break story after story after story. After story, and I just think in 2016, if we pretend that celebrity culture is something divorced is shallow, is something that is shallow and something that is not part of our political culture and does not shape our society, we are kidding ourselves. We are absolutely kidding ourselves. So everybody should read on Smarm if they haven't yet, and it's this long form essay by by Tom Skoka, where he speaks to the central slight against Gawker, that it is sort of this engine of snark, that mm-hmm. it, it is at the absolute, like, it's the nucleus of this culture of snark. Yeah. And that everybody is so upset that everyone, that the conversation has gotten so snarky. And he offers this uh, counter narrative to say, no, 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 the problem isn't snark. The problem is smarm. Yeah. And that smarm is the language of power. And snark is is the language of people who are punching up. And it's, yes. it, it's okay to be acidic. And it's okay to be dismissive, especially when you are asking questions and mocking your your yeah. su- your social betters, and and that that is actually that has value. Whereas smarm is about consolidating power, and it's it's about a, a, a smugness and a dismissal of those who would dare to question. Yeah. And I, I had an opportunity to to ask him about this because it like it just kind of spoke to me in in this really direct way. Like somebody was, I was waiting for somebody to kind of put their finger on it in the way that he did. And what he told me, and this was like in the early months of me embarking on this this Canada land thing right. and I went to New York and spoke with him at Gawker's old offices and mm-hmm. he said that Onsmarm was deeply informed by his Canadian experience and he was referring to the the, the Rob Ford episode and he said right. not just dealing with the Toronto Star who claimed an exclusive on the story and they only ran the story after Gawker first broke the story yeah. I have found that in dealing with various Canadians, that this is a mode that seems to come readily, smarm, to some people from Canada. I don't want to make any blanket accusation against an entire people, but it's an observable pattern. One thing that just knocked me over, he said, not 24 hours after the Ford story broke, one of your papers had a column rebuking everyone for their insensitivity to a man struggling with a sickness of addiction. That's amazing, right? Yeah. And he said, look, the story wasn't even a day old, and this guy was your mayor, Somebody who appeared to be representing his interests went and beat somebody with a metal pipe. Like, this all happened in our city. I know. 
And his henchmen were running around with bed bugs that they were using on their enemies. Yeah. And, and the media were wondering, like, do we... I mean, I remember doing a panel for somebody, I forget who, right where Rob Ford was doing it, where the panel discussion was, should the media be reporting on this? Yeah. Like, it was like they were asking these ethical questions. And it's like, buddy, are you kidding me? And like, confusing the mayor, that. The yeah, guy with, who with sets ethics. the tax rate is on crack. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's what you can't really hold against Gawker is that they did actually get the stories out. Yeah. And I think some of those stories would still be sitting around if they did not. Now, I could not possibly, I would never have done what they have done on, some on, on like a huge number of cases. Yeah. Like, I, I find it indefensible. But on the other hand, I think they, they have at least gone into the battle with celebrity culture. Well, and that's a, that's a hard war. It really is. And it's the key war. You know, it's the key struggle. Like, it's very it, – because that is where power is being formed right now. You might say that there's never been this idea that we need Gawker to be a check on celebrity power. We need them to, to scrutinize and expose celebrity power. With the internet, there's never been more scrutiny. We've got people hacking into celebrity cell phones and uploading, like, personal sex but that's pictures. It. But that's it. Like, it, the internet, of course, is totally stupid. So the the criticism of the internet has is just awful. Like uploading, stealing the fappening, like stealing a bunch of celebrity porn videos is not a critique no. of celebrity culture. It's just an on, invasion of people. It's yeah. just an it's just a random. It's just a theft. Yeah. Right. Like it's just like going into a celebrity's home and stealing their jewelry. Like what what we need is critical intelligence about celebrity culture. Yeah. And 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 fearlessness in the face of it. And I think they definitely have made making mistakes, but they have done that. That's why on Smarm is different from the fappening. Yeah. Right? Like, that's why on Smarm is necessary and allows you to recalibrate your feelings about uh, about criticism, uh, whereas the general ramblings of the internet are just a, you know, yeah. signal. Which And most people think that the Gawker is indicative of that horde, uh, that teeming horde of the internet, but you write that Gawker actually evokes a forgotten principle of the media that, that this there actually is order to Gawker where it's just Definitely. chaos elsewhere. Hamilton Nolan says, the thing I like most about Gawker is that we are able to dispense with all the politesse bullshit that surrounds so much establishment journalism and just speak the truth as we see it at least. And we're not required to hem and haw and couch what we want to see in euphemisms. If something is bullshit, we can say this is bullshit. That's right. I think that this is ultimately Gawker's most important role in the media. Amid all the funny things and time-wasting things and ridiculous things we publish, we tell the truth in far more direct way than readers can find in most places, and I sincerely believe this is noble. That, that is a distinction between just the, the the randomness of the Internet, which has as much misinformation as information. That's right. And what was interesting to me is in, in the controversy after Gawker published that this publishing executive was uh, trying yeah. to get in bed with a gay porn star, and, and yeah. meanwhile the guy had a wife and three kids, a bunch of Gawker staffers resigned. Right. They didn't resign because Gawker published that story. Right. They resigned because Gawker pulled it. Right. Nick Denton had completely broke precedent with what Gawker does and met yeah. with like the, there was some like, I guess, a management committee or the board of directors or something. And they did a vote. It was the first time that like management got into editorial right. and management said, you know what? It's not enough that it's true. We have to weigh the damage the story does against the newsworthiness and the public interest of the story. And we determined that this story didn't meet that threshold. Yeah. and Therefore, we're going to we're going to take it off. And. Editors at Gawker felt that, the, that, that a sacred trust of what Gawker stands for was violated. Management shouldn't be doing that. And that it's not the media's job to, like, play God 
and say, well, the damage of the story and the worth of the story. Like, but no, you, you we're here know just true. to print the truth. You, you know, you and I both know that's not true. I mean, it, all all media, I would, ins- you know, all media institutions make these decisions. Sure. You make them for here, right? Like oh, things yeah. That are, you're, you're like that you come across that you're not going to print. Like there is an inevitable curation here. Right. People would be very surprised to know how many things we know to be true that we don't, don't print for right. those reasons. And I feel yeah. bad about those stories. I like I'm not sure myself. Like I, I, I can conceive of the purpose of an organization or a mechanism that just makes this stuff public. But right. I don't want that on my shoulders. Like, and, and we put this, and, you know, and we work for our, our, our supporters here. So I asked, like, look, if I find out that a politician's having an affair, is that something you want Canada land? And people said, no, unless it's like tied to their policies or politics, unless it has something to do with public life, do not publish that. We don't need you to do that. Right. And I was glad to be, I don't want to publish that. It's right. not whoever I ever thought I would be. But see, Gawker would. I know they would. And I kind of like... I, it I, is a question. I, I wonder if there's some value in that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it is. It is a question. I mean, you know, like in Canada, mercifully, at least until Justin Trudeau, celebrity culture and politics have been relatively separate. Yeah, and our politics have been very bland. Yeah, and very and very removed from these personal questions. I mean, God knows how many politicians had affairs, but on the other hand, who really cares since they're not doing family values nonsense and they're, and you know, they're not, there's not the same rhetoric of that has totally afflicted the United States. But now there is, now we have, but now we are coming to it. And I wonder if that, and I wonder now since we are, I guess we'll have to see if the conservatives actually find a candidate capable of using social media and capable of using the new media that's out there. But, you know, I think before we've been very protected from it because it's really been unnecessary. It has been unnecessary, but now maybe not. Are yeah. the Trudeaus, because of all the social media moments, because of the family values, photo ops, because of everything like that and, and the use of the skilled use of celebrity culture and uh, uh, through social media to the glossies. Yep. Are the Trudeaus fair game in the way that the Harpers were not? Well, I mean, to me. Frankly, the Harpers were fair game. Uh-huh. Like to me, everyone. Like if you are a politician, I mean, you know, there's there's a story that I often think people should know, like about the how they picked the kings in Babylon. You know how they picked the kings in Babylon? They like picked them at the beginning, and they had this big spring festival, and it was a new king every five years or something like that. And the first thing the king did is he went before the god of the city, and there was a priest there, and the priest absolutely beat the shit out of him, just absolutely beat him to death, like half to death. And I really feel like if you enter politics, uh-huh. if you want to be king, you have to submit to the beating of, of the priests, right? And so, like, I think, I think you the know, media are the priests in this. Well, I think the I don't know if the media are the priests, but certainly the people uh-huh. are entitled to this uh, to that spectacle. I just think it's all fair game. When and when someone sets your tax rate, when someone has that much power. You are entitled to have total scrutiny of them, I, I, I think. Okay. The Babylon thing was peak, peak Stephen Marsh. <laughs> um, That's going to be – I am, I am writing an essay about that where that will probably be expressed in something more – less stupid than it sounded right now. Uh, here's, it's a fascinating story. Here's something you wrote that I like better uh, on Gawker. The editors and writers want power to be made uncomfortable whether or not it deserves the discomfort. That's right. And they believe that the public right to information is more important than any individual's right to privacy. Those are things that are, are both virtuous and also problematic, obviously. Yeah. I mean, to me, like, the thing with the, it goes back to on, on, on SMARM. Like, you know, it was this defense of SMARM and SMARC, but, like, the world that I actually want to live in is one in which critical intelligence likes things that are good and hates things that are bad and 
likes things that are good even when they're done by powerful people or powerless people and hates things that are bad when they're done by powerful people or powerless people rather than this like bifurcated, you know, hitting up, hitting down. Yeah. But, you know, the truth is we're still in a state in these early stages of of the Internet, really, where that capacity for calm, careful deliberation and selection has not yet emerged. I think that there's a lot of value to the way that you framed your argument in terms of like they have said terrible uh, and hurtful things about me, yeah. but I stand with them because that really draws into sharp relief this concept of the damage that is done by negative journalism. Yeah. And I'm always, you know, like, Jesse, don't you realize that you're 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 ruining lives when you when you print stories like that, whether or yeah. not they're true. Right. And. I, I don't mean to kind of um, shrug off the responsibility yeah. or talk about how when you talk about the extremes, like that executive yeah. revealed to be in conversation. Oh, that's with, a, dis- that's a that's catastrophe. A, that's that a catastrophe. And that actually could arguably ruin lives. Yeah. But we, we should be very careful not to confuse that with like, it's, it's it didn't ruin your life, Stephen, that Gawker for years has been like targeting you for this relentless, no. you know, very public abuse. That's right. It, 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 like, you're okay. Yeah, no one, no one said to me, you know what, Stephen, Gawker said that you're a sexist, so you can't have your column anymore. Yeah. Like, that, that never happened. The thing about speech and the beauty of freedom of speech is that, when people talk, everybody knows who's talking about you. So, like, Gawker also says, I mean, they've t- said terrible things about Paul McCartney. Yeah. Right? Like, like, and Paul McCartney wrote, like, 500 of the world's best songs. Right? Like, so it's like, you know, it's okay. Like, I'm on a list with Judas Iscariot. Like, people who actually know me would not put me on a list with Judas Iscariot. Like, or, or Joe Paterno. Right? So, like, I think there is... Like what happens with this with this? Kind we of almost speech. got to the equivalency of you and and Paul McCartney, but uh, well, <laughs> well, no, no, no. But it's just like it's just like well, if you're taking shots at Paul McCartney, yeah, like you're gonna take shots at anyone. Okay, now if they had said that Stephen Marsh is guilty of some terrible crime, that could have ruined your life. And the only problem there is if it isn't true. That's right. You know. Yeah. Well, I I do think the truth thing is actually key. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't go like if you publish lies about people, then you should go down. I mean, that's that, that's a given. To right? me, that is sort of, you know, you can talk about tone, newsworthy. There, there, there are all these different things we can get into. But to me, the, the only kind of like bright line, go no further media ethics question is, is it true or not? Right. Whether you take it down or not tells us everything we need to know about whether you care. That's right. Just want to finish by talking a little bit about. There's sort of this implied conclusion you come to, which I find intriguing, but I want to know more about, Mm -hmm. where you're talking about these sort of, these new tech barons. Yes. And how the power is shifting. And you're right about Peter Thiel. Mr. Thiel, meanwhile, seems to want a world in which he personally encounters no resistance, whether it comes from government or from the free press or anyone else for that matter. The sheer amount of wealth being amassed we can feel really immune to this here, mm-hmm. where we're chasing a tech economy, yeah. as opposed to in the United States, where these titans are in a position to radically reform the media. They're, they, they, they get, some of them they have already buy up the media as a like plaything, uh, a vanity project uh, in the name of protecting the media, and others like Thiel. Can you you can see like 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 it's, this is a bizarre case funding the Hulk Hogan thing as a covert way to disassemble Gawker 
it's fascinating and it scares yeah. the shit out of me. Well, he's an excellent chess player, Phil. You know, he was like top ten when he was under thirteen, and it's just that kind of like cold blooded, uh, calculate like years long revenge calculation. It's just un- unbelievable. So, is it Pollyanna ish of me to think that like this sort of new era of of, of Silicon Valley culture? I always thought that there were ethics of open conversation. Twitter, you know, calls itself the free speech wing of the free speech party. You seem to be suggesting that it's a new overlord situation who might be scarier than any overlords we've had in that. Well, they're before. much for the media specifically. They're much more terrifying, right? Because they just have, you know, Facebook and Google between them have control over all the information in North America. What they want is not an open society. They want their own personal power. Right. Like that's and, and they're getting it. Yeah. Like eventually all this stuff comes under somebody's control. Inevitably, I think. Like, you know, it, there there is no power without institutions and institutions, you know, inevitably have to be controlled by somebody. I won't argue with you that these are, are, are not self-interested private companies trying to amass as much market share, as much revenue, as much control uh, as they can. But the other side of that must be spoken there has never been an easier time to get your message out and for that message to be heard by more people than ever before. And fringe voices and untold stories and things that would have otherwise gotten buried, that doesn't happen nearly yes, to the I'm, degree that it used to. I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that because, that's because of technology. I mean, I think, that, I think a lot of trends get attributed to technology that are really you know, deeper cultural trends that have been growing since the 1960s or even before then. Whatever are you talking about? Well, I think cultural openness, like, you know, Homosexuality was made legal in Canada in 1968, right? That was not, and that that was a marginalized group getting political representation in a way that they had not had before. That had nothing to do with, you know, the radio or something like that. It had nothing to do with it had nothing to do with anything technological that was happening or some open form of media. It was actually because of a cultural force towards openness that I think has actually been implicit in capitalism for like a long, a long time. You're, you're talking uh, over my head here. I'm, I'm simply saying- Well, it's a story, easy to do. It's easy to do. <laughs> so dumb it down a shade. Yeah, there was a time when uh, uh, the Toronto Star would be made aware uh, or would see for themselves a tape of Rob Ford smoking crack. They would decide that the story is just not ready yet yes. and sit on it. And if there's no if there's no internet, then there's no internet news. Then there's no gawker. Then that story never gets told. Yeah, but- you know, there were the Hearst newspapers in like 1912. Right? Yeah, but like there were there were there were papers that like went out and there were papers that said I've been to the moon in in the 1910s yes. because of the because of the struggle for ad revenue. Yeah, but like, those papers were run by people very much like Peter Thiel, who were you know incredibly powerful barons who were telling false stories in order to further their own like military ambitions or political careers. Now it's just uh, but there's always a, a been... wild a wild exchange of information. I mean, I'm sorry, but like the the wild exchange of information in Britain has been underway for 200 years. I mean, if you look at the and news- they're the better for if it, you look arguably. at the newspapers that were published around the time of the French Revolution, I mean, they're every bit as crazy as the internet. Yeah, but the, I mean, but the, wild. The, theories, that was a long time ago. <laughs> you've just never seen them like that. Like what? No, what you're I, right. The press used to be uh, rabid and partisan, yes. and it was filled with absolute fabrications. And it was, you know, uh, uh, true things got printed that would never uh, that would never been printed in 1995. False things got printed that would never be printed in 1995. But that's not the world that the internet responded to. The world responded to the world of 1995. My point is just that to say, internet created the diversity of voices is actually. Like that's just there's just no evidence. That's just post hoc ergo propter hoc. Like there's there's actually like a lot of trends going on 
that are not necessarily just tied to what's going on in Silicon Valley that, you know, that the Internet plays a part in. But it's not like the Internet creates that. The Internet, the Internet is a, you know, it's a thing indifferent. It's a it's a medium. I was wrong. We just hit peak, peak Stephen Marsh just <laughs> well, now. What? Which, which what part was it? Post hawk ergo propter hawk? <laughs> what was it? <laughs> Who knows? Gawker <laughs> will tell us. No, that was it. <laughs> Stephen, thank you. Pleasure. That's your Canada Land. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me. I read everything you send me, and I respond when I can. And you can reach me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of CanadaLand Commons will come out on Tuesday, and the next episode of Shortcuts comes out on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. We syndicate this show for free, for free, to community and campus radio stations across the country, and Russell Gragg takes care of that. If you like what we do, please support us.